0: Uh, my name's John Eden. I'm going to talk about, um, I think, the contrast between blogging and um, music journalism. Um, and whilst doing that, I'm going to touch on some of the things in um, my writing. I need to sort of start off by saying, you know, that the the, the those various stages I've been through to get to kind of being a an out self confessed blogger. Um, so, we're going to go through writing and um, printed matter and, and then get onto blogging in a minute. It's kind of difficult to remember now, but certainly um, in the last century, there was this whole issue of getting published, of going through a process by which your written work would be seen by other people. Um, and these days, obviously, that's open to pretty much anybody with an internet connection. Um, I was in a sort of weird situation. The first time I was published was in 1977 when I was seven years old. Um, and our whole class was asked to do a poem uh, on something about nature. Um, and um, being seven, I was very compliant and, and did this. And uh, I'm not a natural poet, but I, it's a very short poem. Would anybody like to hear the poem I wrote when I was seven years old? Okay, right, great. Um, I've still got the uh, the thing here, which I'll I'll come on to and explain in a minute. Um, I like mice, but I don't see any in winter because they're all in their holes, nice and warm. My sister has got a cat. I don't like my sister's cat because cats chase mice. Now, thank you. You see, if I'd known that was going to get such a warm response when I was seven, then maybe I would have become a poet instead. But at at the time... um, it ended up getting published in this, this newsletter that got sent round to all the schools, and my, my teacher was really impressed with this, and so were my parents. But I remember thinking that the whole thing was completely arbitrary, and there was this strange kind of process that you had to go through to get your work published, and why had they published that rather than the other things that my friends had done and um, you know why hadn 't they done this great essay I'd done the week before about Lego or something. Um, so it was going to be another kind of 13 years and, until I was was published again, and that would be very different. And part of that is because um, one day I walked into my local independent bookshop in the, the town I grew up in and saw this. This is kind of a typical 1980s anarchist punk fanzine. Um, and it's got a, a, a good interview with Crass with in it. It's got a review of a, an anarchist Bash uh, the Rich March that was organised by this, this group we had in the UK called Class War. And it's got other kind of more uh, general things, like an interview with uh, this group, 400 Blows, who now, um, one of them is doing some good uh, dubstep stuff. Um, and I, I, it didn't look like anything else in the shop. It looked like it had been thrashed together by some weird revolutionary in a squat somewhere um, they said fuck a lot, which I liked when I was kind of 13 or 14. And the best thing about it was that um, clearly nobody had given them permission to do this. Um, they just decided one day they were going to lash together this fanzine and, um, and put it out and, and not make any money out of it. And, and, you know, it was their raw kind of take on the world. Um, and I kind of became addicted to that sort of, um, that zine um, you know, adrenaline rush of, of getting these things through the post or finding them at gigs or whatever. Um, my parents got a bit worried after a while because I get all this strange mail with little stamps and slogans on it, but it was okay. Um, so I got immersed in this kind of uh, underground network of people that, that published their own stuff um, and, and was drawn to uh, a narco-punk, industrial music, experimental things, dub, um, anarchism, the Situationist stuff. Um, and and um, occulture, and eventually, um, I left my my fairly suburban city and moved to the, uh, the to London under the excuse of, of studying psychology, but really to kind of get involved more with these kind of weirdos. And the kind of weirdest thing, I guess, was was immersing myself in this this group called the, the Temple of Psychic Youth, which was a kind of philosophical uh, wing attached to this this band called Psychic TV. Um, and these days, I, I, I'd be quite critical of a lot of the things that, that uh, we did. Um, I've, I've kind of gone into my kind of my distancing myself from industrial culture on my blog. But um, one of the best things about it was that for me, there was huge amounts of um, fanzines and, and writing, and it was a, a great kind of supportive network of people that would uh, help you kind of realise your your creative potential and would just be up for putting mad stuff out and putting on mad events so i was i was doing that um, and i kind of pursued that through throughout you know the 90s i was doing little fanzines and booklets and stuff Um, one of the things i have taken on board from from my time in in topia is this this kind of definition of um magic from crowley uh alistair crowley who's the guy there with the the funny robe on and for me um, magic isn't about kind of funny robes and demons and spirits it's about what it says up there it's about changing the world in in conformity with your will your kind of your desires what you want to see out there and and in fact Crowley was quite kind of um, in sync with me, horrifyingly, because he's not someone I particularly choose to identify with. But in, when, after he, um, he comes out with this definition, he, he goes on to say, um, for example, uh, it is my will to inform the world of certain facts within my knowledge. I therefore take magical weapons, pen, ink, and paper. I write incantations, these sentences, in the magical language, i.e. that which is understood by the people I wish to instruct. I call forth spirits such as printers, publishers, booksellers, and so forth, and constrain them to convey my message to those people. The composition and distribution of the book he's writing in um, is thus an act of magic by which I cause changes to take place in conformity with my will. So I think it's a kind of key message to anybody writing or or blogging or whatever that you need to have a think about what changes you want to bring about And uh, with all sinister things, be careful what you wish for because they might come true. So I was doing, uh, yeah, I was immersed in the zine scene. A lot of this ties in with um, what David Keenan was talking about yesterday in terms of um, self publishing uh, an underground scene, DIY, cassette culture, and CDRs was another part of all that. Um, I realized now that I was waiting for the internet to happen. I was waiting for blogging to arrive because it was a process that I was already engaged in. Those those pictures up there are a series of 12 um, big sheets of paper. I produced one once a month, uh, little items in date order uh, of reviews or or things I was thinking about or little um, bits of analysis that I put together. I'd photocopy 50 of those every month and send them out to people I knew. There would be kind of flyers from other people in there, which would be like a kind of sidebar on blogs, links to other things, um, a friend of mine put a, a chapter of a book he was working on in it as well, um, and that 's essentially this this thing of zine culture and and also in parallel to that male art being almost like the pre internet in the way that it worked as a, a network of people that were doing their own thing on their own terms um, this kind of <sighs> inevitably all migrated onto the internet, really, um, which is something I have mixed feelings about. That's uh, my website, which I started in 1997 when everyone was into horrible things like fractals, which you can see down the bottom. Um, but um, kind of the promise of the internet didn't really manifest itself that that, that early for me because I was looking around for stuff. I was looking around, OK, great, you know, there's all this great stuff out there. But if you looked up things like an arco-punk or industrial music, usually all you found was... Um, some f- scanned in sleeves and some some lyrics and, and, and there wasn't really any kind of um, there wasn't anything that I had kind of on my top of my wardrobe uh, in fanzines it wasn't as good as that so I embarked on this process of sort of recirculating texts and there's a section on my website which is kind of critical of anarcho-punk with some, some things I've basically ripped off from other people um, another thing I did was a little section on this UK reggae film called Babylon which had been out of circulation for legal reasons for many, many years. It's an it's a absolutely classic film that kind of encapsulates a particular era of, of sound system culture in the UK. And there was, again, very little information about it, but I had this interview in a fanzine and I gradually built up this section of the website because it was content that nobody else had access to that, that I felt was important to kind of recirculate. And that part of the um, of the website has, has become a kind of the cornerstone of... of um, information that's available about that film and it's been partly responsible for that film being reavailable because people accessed it and wanted to know how it could be re-released and I've, I've had a nice email from the, the director telling me that it's kind of the the, the best resource for the film and, and now it's out again it's been re- released twice on DVD the first time by someone who ripped off a lot of my website for their their, their cover booklet which is fine because I don't claim any uh, ownership of these, these ideas, I, I'm into the idea of Sampling and, and plagiarism, and because I'm not, I'm not being paid. Um, I don't really have a financial stake in this stuff, other than my own kind of cultural capital or ego. Um, and there's nothing I can do about some Italian film company ripping off my stuff anyway. So it's philosophical. Um, the reason I'm mentioning this all is because that's the kind of background to, to my writing, and that's why I'm not a journalist. And I should say that I'm not attacking journalism. There are some journalists in the audience so I respect or I shan't embarrassed by naming. Um, but um, for me, blogging represents the latest manifestation of this slightly unhinged um, political activism or pamphleteering or uh, Martin Luther nailing a list of things onto a church door rather than um, journalism, uh, music journalism especially. Um, for me, journalism, it's completely understandable that someone will want to spend their life doing that and be paid for it but for me this imposition of things like um, you know, deadlines, word, word, word length um, having to be objective having to actually talk about the music and, and the notes in it rather than this sort of the social or, or political context in which the music is made um, that's, that's not really what I do best though I have veered into you know doing the odd review in The Wire and, and other places as well um, I remember one of the things I did learn when I, was, when I was pretending to do my psychology degree whilst being a kind of a cult weirdo um, was there was an experiment done, I think, in the 70s with kids where they gave two sets of kids identical uh, toys to play with. Um, and one of the sets of kids was told, oh, well, here are these great new toys, why don't you go and play with them? And the other set was told, um, here's $5. Can you test these toys out for this toy corporation? Um, and, and what happened was, of course, the kids that were being told, yeah, this is, a, you know, here's the money, here's the, the stuff, they, they kind of played for half the length of the other kids and got bored and went off and did other things. But the, 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 the ones where it was just purely open situation where they could do what they wanted, um, there was more spontaneity and they, they played for longer. Um, and it's my aim to kind of play for longer. I've got, a, I've got a job which has nothing to do with any of this except learning how to put PowerPoint together. Um, and so blogging is something I do in my spare time, and um, we had a brief discussion yesterday about whether cassette culture is anti-capitalist, but, I mean, I know people who are are blogging at work, um, which is a kind of direct way for them to claw back some of the the surplus value that they are creating for their employer. Um, It's not something I would condone, and it's not something I'm able to do myself, but that there is this kind of completely um, anti-economic... slant to to, to what I'm suggesting people lose money on producing fanzines and they don't usually make money out of blogging Um, so if we can I mean I know that the the concept of um, post-economic music is is problematic but just as valid is this idea of post-economic music writing so uh, moving on um, Music bloggers, this is again very um, London-centric, UK-centric. There's a little corner of the the web where people have been reading stuff by Simon Reynolds in The Wire. Um, Reynolds is a kind of UK music journalist of long-standing who's done some books on um, post-punk and more specifically rave culture. And he wrote a series of articles in The Wire that are now available on their website for people to check out. And he uh, had this website where the kind of longer pieces he couldn't get published were... um, we were up, and he started blogging, and everyone was like, oh, that's quite interesting, yeah, someone runs his blogging, check it out. Um, but better than that was when this guy Matt Ingram started blogging, because no one had any clue who he was. He was just this guy who'd been kind of interested in music and was fanatical about it, and he'd done little kind of comics and stuff that no one had ever really seen, but he started doing stuff, and he was up there with his great pieces on his blog, which was firstly called um, That Was a Naughty Bit of Crap, um, and then became Wobot. Um, and uh, this little circle of people came came around. Uh, you had um, Mark K. Punk, a.k.a. Mark Fisher, who'd been involved with producing fanzines himself. Uh, he was involved with this group called the Cybernetic Culture Research Unit, which Steve Goodman, Code 9, was also involved with. Um, you had this guy, Luca Heronbone, who was just some guy from East London who did sort of psychogeography and wrote about grime, was brilliant. And um, another guy called Simon Silverdollar, who did a lot of early writing about uh, grime on on pirate radio. So you had this kind of, for me, a golden age of UK music blogging in in 2003 and 2004 where no one really had comments boxes, so if you wanted to get involved, you had to really start your own blog and then link to posts and stuff. Um, And you had to kind of be involved and and be saying something. And uh, there was a lot of great stuff that was done. At that point, um, music journalism, as well as uh, music industry, was seemed a little bit um, scared about the possibilities of the net. So you had these uh, journalists kind of criticising music bloggers. I think Paul Morley was 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 one of them, and, and he quite rightly said that, you know, for every decent blog there's 100 ones that are pretty much rubbish or two comments that are no good at all. Um, I have some sympathy with that. But then you had this sort of more... Um, kind of smug comments. This is from um, a guy called Alexis Petridis who writes for the, he's one in a long line of very bad writers for, for Guardian newspaper in the UK. Um, and I mean, to, to give him his due, he, he, he suffered the the, the rigours of writing for Mixmag, which was a mainstream um, dance music magazine in the 90s and had to Suffer of Pauling, um, you know, going out every night and seeing hard house DJs like Judge Jewels and things, which I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, but, but he now kind of writes lots of essays about how dance music is dead and, and um, does a sort of fashion column in The Guardian. And this was his, his diss, his, his what we call in Grime an indirect diss of um, my, my, my man Simon Silverdollar, because he'd done this, this series of pieces on Grime part Radio, and then he'd done this quite tongue in cheek piece about, um, you know, Kantian. Values in this, this other guy. Um, and the remaining kind of paragraph of, of Petridis' sort of rant is, is um, dedicated to kind of slagging off what he sees as the other half of people who are into, um, into grime, who are speaking in kind of patois and are obviously kind of working class kids in council estates. So he's um, encapsulated really what's wrong with that slightly smug um, mainstream journalism. And also, what's great about blogging because you can just make up mad stuff and shove it up there. And there is this weird, there was this weird tension between you know the kind of bloggers and um, uh, I guess what you would call non-blogger grime fans who were who were just into kind of going out and having a good time. And that's kind of dissipated over the years a little with uh, you know bloggers putting on nights and and uh, you know working-class kids doing blogs about crime, which is great. Um, towards the end of 2004 you got this kind of um identikit blogs emerging where everyone linked to simon reynolds and everyone was doing articles a bit like everybody else and these little coteries formed and i guess there's a sort of slight coterie around me of ex weirdos who are now into dub and grime and k-punk had his little sort of zizek set who were into kind of the ccru ideas and 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 it, it all kind of fragmented a little bit and part of that um that fragmentation was recognised by Wobot and K-Punk who set up this discussion forum called Dissensus to try and you know, stop everything going into these comments boxes and, and make it a bit more open. Um, but for me, that was the kind of an end to a particularly kind of fanatical fanzine sort of phase of, um, of UK music blogging. And um, now um, Reynolds is, is paid to write for The Guardian. Um, Wobots gave up blogging in 2008 and is producing music. Um, Heron Bone is is kind of doing a literary blog where he doesn't write about music anymore, as much as I would like him to. I can't force him into doing anything against his will. Um, K-Punk has finished doing a stint at The Wire and is is still blogging. And um, Silver, Simon Silver Dollar is is writing for Fact magazine and has a blog for them. So you can see, as with the fanzine writers of the 70s and the 80s, there is this. Uh, move for for mainstream media to try and get the best writers and, and bring them on board um, which is fine everybody I think in here would like to make a living out of doing what they love and there's nothing wrong with that um, and maybe one of the reasons that hasn't happened to me is because I'm not actually a good enough writer so um, I asked some questions because obviously there weren't any questions for the guy before me so I've come up with my own um, for me, the question about what there is left to write about is—is is really, I find that there's so much stuff out there that um, that isn't on the internet. Still, um, there's a lack of, I think, really good writers on reggae. Um, most of the really good writers I know about reggae are kind of my mates or people that have been established journalists for ages. Um, I know in, in Germany there's, there's there's a lot more good reggae writing, um, but but certainly the stuff I see. Uh, there's a lot of people who just seem to be content to shove up a, a link to an MP3 or a YouTube. Um, and um, a lot of this kind of you know, one-upmanship about people who've seen things first, um, which has never been my approach. Um, I came to Grime very late, about 2005, and the reason I came to Grime late is because I'd been listening to um, UK MCs from the 80s, and the reason I was listening to them is because their records were cheap. They, nobody was interested in them. They were all buying these kind of uh, Jamaican records that were made over there, um, and then there's sort of, well, what's this stuff? Okay, great. And, and I noticed that there was this this tradition of of UK MCs uh, stretching back to the '80s that had relevance with things like grime and what was happening in in you know my life. Um, and that put me on another path of which was similar to kind of this, the, the example I gave earlier about the film Babylon, where you, you champion these things. Um, but I think instead of you know championing an arco punk or industrial music or films. Um, this was a little bit different because I, here's me, a kind of middle-aged white guy, not the most proletarian man in the, in the street, um, writing kind of someone's reggae history for them. Um, so we now get into the kind of thorny is- issue of, of blogging and writing ethics. And what helped me with this was um, this book by Stefan um which you can now read online. Um, and it's about the middle-class domination of working-class culture. Uh, in, in, in England, and, and the specific example he gives is this process by which um, working-class folk songs from a couple of a hundred years ago were documented by uh, wealthy middle-class people, um, and how uh, a very striking part of that was that, that not everything got covered, because if you are a humble labourer living on some lord's land and he gets you in to sing some songs... Um, you're not going to sing the song about violently overthrowing your oppressive landlord, and you're not going to sing the song about um, you know the girl you shagged down the pub because that wouldn't fit in with the, the manners. So this, this area of um, historification um, has a kind of uh, the, the dominant values kind of tend to win out, and this is the same. The same is true with with writing about reggae. There's always a, a move towards um, you know peace and love and unity and Bob Marley and uh you know fight the system in a, in a quite a lefty liberal sort of way but then you know there, there isn't a, there, there aren't really any champions of all the, the songs about guns and the beauty of ladies asses and and, and a killing gays. um and that's obviously i feel conflicted about that and i think that um you know obviously i like it if there weren't any songs about killing gays. but um I think it 's important to engage with that and recognize it rather than to whitewash it out of the uh, the picture, so I kind of sort of took this on um, i think it 's also worth mentioning that it 's possible that none of the English folk songs may have survived without this this process of documentation so it's uh, it 's a mixed bag i 'm not, I'm not suggesting that you know it shouldn 't be done or it should be done in a different way it 's just a process that that, that happens that, that I think it 's important to be conscious of um, and to not just barge in and, and and, and give it a go, because there are sort of sensitivities there. there are a lot of uk reggae acts that, that will tell you stories about being ripped off by white label owners, um, and they 're quite suspicious of uh, obviously you know coming from a very afrocentric point of view of of white people kind of busting in on their party. but one of the advantages of blogs is that clearly i 'm um, a a bit mental for doing all this stuff and bringing up these things they did twenty five years ago and b i 'm not making any money out of it at all, um, so I, I met um, this guy called Dr. William Henry, who was an MC called um, Leslie Lyrics, and was a fantastic MC and is now a great academic. He's done... There's another plug for a book. You should get this. This is great. He's done his... Well, I didn't know this, but he was writing, while I was doing this kind of... Um, this documentation of, of UK MC culture, he was writing his own story, um, and it's, it's encapsulated in that, and we met up. We interviewed him for the first issue of my magazine, Woofer, and he was really pleased to hear that I was playing his records out and stuff, um, and, and, you know, he's someone with a bit of a fearsome reputation and not really suffering fools gladly, but he seemed to like what I was doing and recognised that it was a, a part of this this process of revalidating UK reggae above the Jamaican stuff. Similarly, um, one of the best UK MCs is Papa Levi. Um, I did a little biography of him on my blog and he ripped it off and put it on his MySpace. I was like, yeah, Levi's got my thing on his MySpace. Um, and I was doing these mixes, I was doing the odd DJ set, um, just, just forcing the issue, really, of, of telling people that this music was was fantastic and, and had relevance to, to things like grime and this kind of continuum. Um, and this this led to my friend's Heatwave doing a, a mix of blog rhythms called An England Story um, with, with less reggae, more grime, a bit of UK hip-hop and things like that. And then that ends up um, becoming an album which is re-released, which is released by by Soul Jazz, where this thing is, not only is the music released out into the world and people can buy it and people do still buy Soul Jazz records, um, apparently there's uh, 6,000 of these were sold in the first uh, five months, which in this day and age is pretty good, but it also generated an enormous amount of press coverage of um, sound system culture in the UK, and you could see people possibly using my source material to do that, but that's fine because the message is more important than, than... you know, my ego and cultural capital. Um, and to me, that's that's the model of how bloggers save the music industry, uh, or, or certainly save musicians in it, uh, is that you have these these champions. And the, the opposite of that, the kind of blogger antichrists, the people that are kind of, you know, rich white people posting up MP3s of albums that people should be buying instead. No problem with posting up things you can't get, uh, the whole ghetto tech thing, that's cool, but there are people that just post up albums they should be buying off Blood and Fire or Green Sleeves, and uh, that is basically rich people stealing poor people's music. And again, as with the census, we noticed there was a lot of people that were interested in this. We tried to capture um, some of those discussions with my magazine Woofer. Uh, my magazine, I publish it with other people. There's a guy called Droid in Dublin, and I, uh, I co-edit it with uh, Paul Meme, who makes Dubstep as Grievous Angel. Um, so, I was back to doing fanzines. Um, and there's been this sort of nostalgia around fanzines recently, uh, similar to what David Keeney was talking yesterday about cassettes and CDR, and similar to the kind of fetishization of, of vinyl that you get the object, the physical object, people not wanting to read things on the screen. Uh, Simon Reynolds interviewed me for a piece on his Guardian blog about fanzines and my involvement with them uh, recently. Um, and Woofery is fantastic. It's available outside Dubai if you want one. Um, but one thing I've noticed that is, is that, again, it's because it's, it's professional, it, it doesn't look like that punk fanzine I showed you earlier. Um, I, I unfortunately find this, this... I'm in this horrific position where my friends who are bloggers feel intimidated um, by this, this imagined form that I think that, that, that they feel. So you have this reluctance for people to write for my fucking fanzine because they think it's The Wire or something and that I'm going to impose these... Um, these 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 values these journalistic um, values on them i mean it's got to be spelled right and things but people panicking about not being able to mention every single ninjaman tune in an article and stuff like that whereas it's about their love of of the music um, so i've sort of shot myself in the foot there and need to need to try and make it more of a fanzine and less of a magazine I never look at the stats on my blog. I did it once, it terrified me. There was people apparently reading my website from Egypt and Australia and there were big numbers involved and um, that terrified me. So I think the, the answer is to forget about your audience and I just imagine that I'm talking to the, the same half dozen people I'd be sitting around a table in a pub with um, and we have our own language and our own in-jokes um, and we don't, we don't try and dumb things down and, and make them... Obvious. Um, People have to kind of go away and learn stuff in the same way that I had to go away and learn about Patois and um, the geography of Kingston and things when I was learning about reggae for the first time, which was a very exciting process to go through. Um, So, yeah, that's a short one. (laughs) This is uh, a pet bugbear of mine. It seemed for a while that you'd be going to people's blogs and they'd be saying... I'm really sorry. I haven't blogged for a while. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something soon. But yeah, and it's no, nobody wants to read that. Um, it looks like the whole of the magic's been sucked out of the whole operation. It's, it's uh, this is this is why a, a fairy dies in the same way that in Peter Pan, if you say the words, well, I'm not even going to say the words, but you know what I mean, that a fairy dies. Um, it, it looks like you, you're in this kind of situation of being obliged to write for an audience, and that it's a task that you have got. Oh no, you know. I've, Got to go home and do the washing, and then I've got to do my blog post, and you know, and and it's just sucked all the fun out of it. That's the point where you, you, you have to you know stop. Uh, and in days when people have got RSS readers, they can press a button and they'll find out whether you've updated your blog or not. And there better be something there that says something better than "I'm sorry, I haven't updated my blog recently." And this is again about Crowley's view of the magic of writing. Um, when I got into Grime, I got a few select mixtapes and records, um, got really excited about going out and seeing it live and checked, went back to those classic blogs from 2003-2004 and threads on Dissensus that are hundreds of pages long and, and read voraciously around the subject because that conjures up in my mind this kind of same excitement as reading about um, punk bands or industrial groups. What I didn't do was download 60 million gigabytes of grime sets and never listen to half of them and have this completely contextless soup of music to wade through um, so I'm, I'm a, a words guy rather than a here's a link to YouTube guy that's just my personal position and, and I think through the words you learn about the context of the music if you're doing it properly where it's from, what it means, what the relationships between people are, what is the culture and what are the politics um, yeah We're coming to a close so for me um it's, it's, like I said earlier, uh, it's, it's time to give up when it feels like a chore. It's Also, I found out, it's time to give up when you get diagnosed with having repetitive strain injury. Um, repetitive strain injury is, is nature's way of telling you to go outside and get some fresh air and see some people rather than sitting in front of a screen. Um, so that's, that's a, a ragtaggle autobiographical uh, journey through writing and um, why blogging can save the world. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Janine. Um, we're running a little late, but not so late that we could not take one, or let's say a sixth and seventh <laughs> question, if there are any. Okay, that's, uh, there's a question way in the back. I have to walk the other way. <coughs> okay. Um, you talked about um, of the, the bloggers going professional and that you are still not getting paid for your blogging. And that's kind of important. So, I want to know what are you living for,
0: from? If okay, well, I mean, I have. I, mean, I think it's an important question. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, I, I can't. I mean, you know, I'm not so good at magic that I can conjure food and water out of, of the air. Yeah. I have a, a, an ordinary job working for a charity in London. Um, they pay me a wage. I come home and try and fit some stuff in around that in my spare time. And it's, it's the, diff, the the real downside to doing this sort of thing is that you have to juggle friends and family and and work and. Uh, you know housework and things and there are obviously tensions in my house especially i should say that for the benefit of my partner around the balance of of the workload and there's a constant renegotiation of that um but i think ultimately you, you know you can't escape capitalism and there are there are always limits and my limit is being a wage slave and trying to bash out a few things when i get a minute
1: anybody else over there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, but the thing about the tactile thing is is is, is key. And um, I think we all had our honeymoon period with the internet. And I used to read things like Mondo 2000, where you'd have these Californian hippies going on about how the internet was going to be, you know, the best thing in the world, and it's the future now. Um, and then, I mean, for me now, working on a computer has associations with being in my job, which I hate. Um, I don't hate my job, but I hate the association. And And I think... You can't go back from the internet. You can't not invent the technology. And David yesterday was talking about the sort of refusal of, of people to engage with uh, MP3s by using cassettes and, and CDRs. And you do see this... Uh, people do need the physical stuff. But fanzines are now different. I think fanzines have become this kind of niche, uh, kind of artistic, um, limited-edition product. Whereas before, there were a lot more kind of mass-photocopied... mass, mass photocopied, um, media but absolutely one of the reasons i do woofer is because i think people need they need that tactility they can't you can't absorb that level of information from the net especially if you're looking over your shoulder your boss is going to come back in the room in a minute um and so we need to establish what these things are for and i've tried to detail why i think there should be a line between blogging and and journalism but i think there's, there's another discussion to be had around the line between what will work on the net and what will have to be physical and for me, I grew up at the same time with you you know, fanzines and and radio and and records and um, MP3s for me are completely inferior Uh, they they barely count as as music Um, though they have their uses, you know in the same way that grabbing a quick burger has has its uses but it's not a meal, you know Um, that probably doesn't answer your question but there it is Yes? about the labour that goes into it that, that makes so Absolutely. Well, I mean, they are magical talismans in a way that digital information isn't, I think. Um, and I, I would completely agree with that. Though, you know, if you're, if you're fighting the information war about the history of, of UK MCs, then the net is the, is the place to do it. Um, but if, yeah, if, if you want to surround yourself with good things, then I think probably physical objects are the way to go. Um, and we're going to have to see how that all pans out, really. Um, but my fear is that, yeah, record shops close down and, uh, the, 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 you know... like that about like, finding ways of, of, um, of bringing the value, you know, outside of, yes. the outside of these discussions, like finding, finding spaces, like, like, like where is that beauty to be found now? The value to be found? Absolutely. I think I mean, a lot of people are looking for it, clearly, um, which is why you've got, you know, very disparate music scenes like David's noise people and my dubstep guys or whatever you know and i think people there is that human need for those things um and yeah we're way beyond the kind of utopian ideal of uh, just downloading our cells onto onto you know the net uh everyone i think recognizes that now
1: i don't want to be impolite but i think we should uh, take a break um, because we've been talking for some time now, um, it's supposed to continue at seven. I would propose that we take half an hour break minimum, so it would be ten minutes, ten minutes past seven, with the final panel, and then there's a concert in the Ausstellungshalle. Thank you very much, and thank you to John Eden for the. <laughs>